Uh, we've just finished a series on radical hospitality, which we've gone through over you know, a, number of, uh, well, a number of months. And we're heading into a new series next year about a life well lived, about what does it look like to live a, a, a rich and wholesome life modelled on the life of Jesus. But I kind of found myself in this in-between stage where I've kind of got this sermon right now, which I can kind of do anything I want with it, but I didn't really know what to preach on. And, and so I was praying and I was asking God, okay, what do you want me to speak on as a once-off topic? And uh, it's not that I don't have stuff to talk on, but I just wasn't sure what I should speak on. And, you know, after I, I just got stuck. I had weeks to pray and think about today and I had nothing. I just like, I have absolutely nothing. And, uh, and then I just had this sense that God wanted me to speak, well, I was meant to speak about Jesus. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help very much. <laughs> a sermon on Jesus, I need it a little narrower. But I really felt I needed to speak about our founder and share some stories about the life of Jesus. But I wasn't quite sure what. And then... I was praying with a few of us in Together Church and, and it was a few weeks ago now and I was praying and, uh, and I was just giving thanks to God as you do in prayer. You know, thank you God for life, thank you for caring for us, thank you for your grace, thank you for caring for us. And, and I, was just, I just had this kind of God moment, you know, one of those, we call them Kairos moments or, or a heart moments. And I just thought, oh, there's something in this. Um, I just realized that deep down inside my spirit, I actually believed what I was praying. <laughs> I was actually really thankful. There was like this joy inside of me that was natural and spontaneous and, and I was thanking God for the things in my life and thanking God for who he was and thank you, thanking God for what he is doing in me and, and in, through us. And, uh, and, and it was just one of those moments I thought that's exactly what I should speak on. So God spoke two things to me at that just little moment and the first thing was for me and the second thing is for us so the first thing for me was that um, God is changing me from the inside out and there's this joyful thankfulness that is in me right now which I'm quite surprised about um, and uh, so that was one thing for me but for us uh, I just have this real sense and it's been growing on me that we are entering a season of thankfulness as a community, as a, a collective of people who love God and who are learning about Him. And, um, and I was thinking that, you know, we've had some pretty tough seasons in our shared life together, um, and yet I feel like a season of joy and gratitude and thankfulness is, is coming our way. Maybe it's because Christmas is coming. But, um, uh, and, and I suppose my prayer has been that as we enter towards the Christmas season that we may experience great joy and lightheartedness, which is why I want to speak on this topic of thankfulness. Now, I'm not saying that everything will be effortless and easy in the coming season because life's not like that, but I am saying that I believe that uh, there is a spirit of thankfulness that is staying to grip our community and I can see it flowing into some beautiful things over the next season. And it was interesting because I was going to ask the I was going to ask you I wrote this a few a week ago and I was going to say well if there are prophetic people amongst us we pr please pray and think and discern about if if what I'm sensing is true that we're going to enter a, a season of gratitude uh, and gratefulness and then we had a planning day as Kylie mentioned uh, for sat on Saturday and we had about uh, seven or so of us gather together for the day and and think and pray about what it is that to, uh, next year looks like. And, uh, and we just stopped and we just had a moment of silence to say, well, is there anything God is bringing up in our hearts? And I um, just wrote a few things down. So one person said, oh, I, all I have is the word heart of joy. 
And I'm like, oh, that connects. <laughs> and then the other person said, oh, well, the words I had was that we are entering a season where we need to be patient with a thankful heart. I'm like, oh, that connects. And then, um, and then another person said, oh, well, I had an image of being at the top of the hill and running down it. Um, as if we've kind of climbed the hill and now we're going to run together. I'm like, okay, well, well, I've been feeling like we should preach, I should preach on thankfulness and so I'm, I'm, uh, that's what I'm doing. That's my intro. Uh, so we're going to talk about thankfulness and, um, and I think there's some stuff in here for us from God. So you've all heard of the expression, I'm sure, is the glass half empty or is the glass half full? And look, we all see the world in different ways. Um, based on our personality, our perspective, based on our habits, our outlook on life. And that's good. It's beautiful. Uh, in my natural self, I tend to be a half-empty type of guy, which is probably why I was surprised that I was so thankful when I was praying. And, uh, you know, I tend to, in my natural self, be very critical of others and find it easy to judge and, and uh, fairly easy to find fault in myself and sometimes in others as well. And I do wrestle with doubt and I wrestle with disappointment. So I suppose I would say that that's just the way I've been or the way I am. And, and uh, look, that's, that's not all bad. Um, you know, there are some things about being able to critique and think deeply and, and uh, question that have been really great in my life. You know, I do strategic thinking for a job and that's one thing. It helps me to, you know, I, I'm a critical thinker and I, I think deeply about stuff. So it's not all bad, but... Uh, I have noticed over the last number of years that there is a dark side to being a half-empty person as well. You know, judgmentalism and a negativity and a, a feeling down quite a lot of the time that goes with that. And, and look, I suppose I was reflecting on my journey and uh, I used to feel like being a half-empty type of guy was actually wise and it made me objective and intelligent and learned and mature, maybe realistic. Um, but over the last 10 years, I've been starting to rethink my thinking. I've been uh, doubting the value of doubt in my life. And I've realized that actually being critical and negative doesn't necessarily make me wise and objective. It just makes me critical and negative. <laughs> uh, maybe, every, maybe that's obvious, but that was an, a waking up moment for me. And, and I can think deeply and objectively and rationally and realistically without actually being negative and half full. Um, I suppose they're not mutually exclusive realities, being thankful and being critical, uh, being objective. So, look, as I prayed last week, I, I realised that actually something is changing in my heart and my spirit, which is really nice. And I'm not the person I was a decade ago. You know, I think beautifully, slowly, gently, God is turning me towards seeing the world through half-full eyes. And it's actually quite a remarkable change. I'm becoming a thankful person. I mean, how good is that? Uh, I think it's really exciting. So look, the scriptures say a lot about faith and they say a lot about doubt. Uh, they say a lot about joy and pain, about negativity, about thankfulness. And, um, but the overarching message of the scriptures is that God is good and that life is good because God brings life into our life. It's a very positive message. And uh, so in the letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, so this is Paul writing to a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. And, and uh, these house churches uh, received his letter. And Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. Okay, so rejoice always, um, pray continually, Give thanks in all 
circumstances. And that means in good times and in bad times, doesn't it? And it means to practice and to orientate our hearts towards thankfulness uh, as a spiritual discipline. It means to look for the good and not just the bad in every situation because this is God's will for us in Christ. Uh, you know, and in some ways, this passage is it's really nice to read. It's good to put on a postcard. I'm sure you'll find it in Kurong. But um, it sounds simple, but it's actually not at all simple and it's extremely countercultural, don't you think? It's, it's really not simple to do this, uh, to find thankfulness in all situations and all circumstances. You know, in our culture, it is normal to complain, right? Uh, it is normal to find fault. It's acceptable to be cynical, to be the victim, to blame others, to point the finger. That's just the culture that we live in. Um, you turn on the news, and I, I've just been struck by the fires in New South Wales, and they're just terrible. Like, you just see these, just the bush burning, and houses are burning down, and people are being displaced, and critters are losing their homes, uh, and it, it points to this bigger reality that you know climate change is upon us, and, and this is just it's just bad news. Um, and yet, I flick through you know Google News, and Australia's got it pretty good. I mean, Hong Kong is in complete social decli decline. There are riots. My dad lives in Hong Kong, so I watch that more. You know, and it's just a complete chaos, and it's not going to get better. Um, uh, then I, you know, there's Venice. Venice is in floods. It's like underwater, and again, it's another sign that things are changing, and it's just dreadful. Um, and uh, America, do I have to say more? <laughs> uh, there's Chile, there's a revolution in Chile because of in injustice, you know, like, it feels like the whole world is nudging towards disaster, uh, and there are tremors uh, that are leading to earthquakes and it's easy to have a half-empty attitude and to see the world as being broken. But scripture calls us to a different perspective and um, Paul says rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And so he doesn't say, when, and I'm not saying that we should live in ignorance, I'm not saying that we should um, put our heads in the sand, that we should be stoic and just kind of, or, you know, put on a happy face. You know, like, I'm not saying that we should be those type of people. Um, but I am saying that we can approach life with an attitude of gratitude that looks different than the world around us, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the world around us. Uh, and that comes by looking up at God rather than looking in at ourselves or down at the world around us. It's a different type of attitude that we have. Uh, but, you know, the question I have, again, maybe it's the half-empty guy in me, the how, how does this actually work in practice? Like, it's good theory, but, but how can we have an attitude of gratitude uh, if we're not wired this way? You know, can you be truly thankful if life is really hard? Um, can you express an attitude of gratitude if your life is a mess? or if the community is broken, or if the world is burning around you. Can you do that? And how do you do that? That's the question I've been wrestling with, particularly the last few weeks as I go to speak this sermon. I, I found this ridiculous slide, but essentially this is my question. How do you conjure it up if it just ain't there? I know it's wise to be thankful, but how do we be thankful when we're just not? Do you know what I mean? 
That's a question maybe I wrestle with. I, I don't know if you do. If you're half full all the time, then maybe this isn't your question. But it's certainly my question. Uh, so look, I've looked at the research briefly. Look, research says a lot about thankfulness. Okay, um, the benefits of thankfulness, there's heaps of positive psychology research about why thankfulness and gratitude works and why it's good for you. So the practice of writing a gratitude journal, for example, is very powerful. Uh, it can help you to foster an attitude of gratitude. Uh, one study, I like this one, a five-minute-a-day gratitude journal can increase your long-term well-being by more than 10%. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot necessarily, uh, but it's the same impact as doubling your income. <laughs> so you can spend five minutes a day saying what you're thankful for, or you can work 20 extra hours a week and try to double your income. Maybe that says more about how money doesn't make us happy, but either way, it's an interesting statistic. Um, you get big benefits by practicing and writing down what you're thankful for. Uh, now, for those who like practical advice, what I mean by that from the research is it's simply grabbing a journal and, you know, or an app, I think, <laughs> um, and, and writing down, uh, I'm thankful for X because of Y, and doing it three times, once a week or once a day. You know, it's, it's pretty simple, okay? Um, and I, I try to do this as a practice as well. And in this way, uh, intentionality and practice can help foster an attitude of gratitude because it helps you focus on what is good and right, etc. Uh, here's another chart I found on the research, which is pretty simple. It's interesting. Basically, you're happier, healthier, and you're more resilient if you practice gratitude. Uh, so the research talks about habits. We talk about spiritual disciplines. Same thing. It's about intentionally putting yourself into the practices of thankfulness. Uh, so practicing gratitude improves sleep, it reduces blood pressure, increases energy levels, it reduces stress and depression, uh, helps you live longer, um, it helps you foster great friendships and relationships because you want to be near happy people, it helps you to be entrepreneurial and be successful because you take risks if you're more positive in life, it tends to make you less materialistic and consumer driven because if you're thankful about what you have then you're less likely to need something else. There's lots of benefits. And positive psychology basically refer, uh, confirms that the Bible is true, as does a lot of research. Um, so in other words, it, it is helpful and important to rejoice, always pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. But I don't think this is the full story. And so I just I, it's half the story, and this is maybe the half empty, it's half the story, but it's not the full story. Um, you know, do we simply journal our way to thankfulness if we don't feel thankful? It's a question I've had. You know, I think humans, uh, we are emotional and we are spiritual and we are intellectual, we are complex beings and there's a complexity to the human condition and a God creates this ability for us to wrestle with our life. But um, there have been times in my life where I've tried to be thankful and I just have not been able to do it. I don't know if has anyone had that. Yeah, like I'll be speaking to myself and going, okay, I'm thankful for the sun, I'm thankful for my health, but really deep down I'm thinking life is terrible and I just want to, you know, give up. Um, or I'll be thinking, you know, I'm thankful for friends and family, but I'm just thinking deep down I just feel really unhappy and broken and emotional. You know what I mean? Like it's somehow willing ourselves to thankfulness isn't the only answer. It's like what Paul said in the book of Romans, uh, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
I had to practice that. It's like a tongue twister, you know. <laughs> she sells seashells by the seashore. So let me try it again. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Basically, we don't do the things that we want to do. There's something in the complexity of being a human that doesn't allow us to will ourselves into anything, not fully. And this is where positive psychology, I think, diverts a little bit from faith, or quite a lot from faith, actually. Because the world suggests that to be thankful, what we must do is to will <coughs> ourselves towards being more thankful we must work in our own strength uh, to be more thankful write journals practice mindfulness be grateful do volunteer work um, basically it's up to you strive try hard um, the god of nike says just do it and if you do you will achieve gratitude it's kind of the message of secular culture right oh really Ah, I must be gracious. All right, um, we'll leave it there. Uh, so, <laughs> woo, I really have to stick to my script. Thank you, Ant. Um, anyway, this isn't completely wrong. I mean, the funny thing is it is so close, and research shows it's so close. You've just lost it. I've lost you, haven't I? Um, practice is essential for our spiritual formation. It is essential for us to become who God wants us to be. We become what we habitually do. And our minds can and are renewed by repetitive practice. So there's a sense where practicing gratitude as a practice and a, a skill is actually half the picture. But I think that the self-help mantra is also exhausting and it ultimately doesn't address our fallenness and the fact that we do not do what we want to do. We cannot will ourselves to be who we want to be. Um, basically, we are not alone. And we are not our own. And God has something to say to you and I into this space of gratitude and thankfulness, which is more than just pull up your bootstraps, write a journal and be more grateful. And that's what I want to speak to today because he has something to guide us. He has a supernatural way of transforming our lives and doing it in his grace and not our own strength. And it's something that I've been learning over time. So let's open up uh, the collection of manuscripts that we call the Bible and find out what God has to say about gratitude. And I want to share three stories from the life of Jesus. I told you I'd get to Jesus eventually, didn't I? I'm going to preach about Jesus. Um, I want to share three short stories about Jesus' life and discover what God might be saying in that space beyond practice and grace about where we can create an attitude of gratitude with a different motivation and a different heart. So let's start with this story. And I was struck by this story as I prayed on this topic. And it's not a typical passage on thankfulness, but I feel it fits today. It's about two blind men. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done? According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Simple passage, beautiful passage. And then Jesus warns them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over the region. So look, here they are. Okay, there's two beggars. There's two blind men. Life is tough. The world is a blur. You know, not like this green image, but blackness, darkness, 
nothingness is their experience of life. And, um, you know, I just put yourself in their shoes. Like, imagine seeing the world in a, through darkness. All you know is black. I mean, that must be really scary. And, and it must be really scary in a culture where people don't care for those who are blind. In Jesus' day, if you were blind, it was because you had sinned or your parents had sinned and God was punishing you by making you blind. It's the same philosophy as we see in karmic cultures like Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, which is entirely different. But that's what the culture was like then. If you were blind, it is your fault and you're being punished. Um, there was no NDIA because of that. You know, there was no assisted animals. There was no kind of pedestrian crossings. Uh, there were no ramps, no disabled toilets, no accessible videos. And there, was, there was nothing, no pension, no social supports. If you were blind, not only was it your fault, but you were left on your own and all you saw was black. And all you could do is stumble around in dirty streets with flies and stray dogs and just hope and pray that someone would throw you a scrap of food or a bit of loose change so that you could actually eat a meal and live another day. Pretty scary, right? That's the context of this story. And, um, and these men, they say, have mercy on us, son of David. You know, imagine, like I imagine that actually asking for mercy is something that these men were used to in their life, but they often didn't receive it. They often didn't experience mercy, and yet they called it Jesus, have mercy on me, son of God. And miraculously, they find themselves next to the Messiah, the God King, the King of the universe. And he stands before them and he asks them a question. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? Basically, are you hopeful still? Are you faithful? Is your glass half empty or do you believe that it is possible that God can transform still in spite of the life you've lived? You know what I mean? It's actually a remarkable question that Jesus says, do you want to be healed and do you believe it? Is it possible to be healed? And, and they reply with what I think is a remarkable answer given their life. They say, yes, Lord, we do believe that you can heal us. And it's precisely what Jesus does. He touches their eyes and the world lights up. Can you imagine? Darkness becomes light hopelessness becomes hope and they see again um, and these men they encounter jesus and it opens their eyes and it transforms their life and they see with an entirely new perspective so here's the bit that strikes me from the story and it's the bit that made me drawn to that, that drew me to this passage as i talked about thankfulness and and it's that Jesus then warns them sternly and says, see that no one knows about this, but they went off and spread the news about him all over the region. Now look, Jesus was a miracle worker. They, they may not have known he was God, but they knew he was a rabbi with authority and power from God. Um, now when God says to you, do something, you should probably do it, yeah? Yeah? When, Jesus, when God says something sternly to you, you really, really should do it. But these men can't help themselves. They, just, they are overwhelmed by gratitude. And so they go out into all the region and they basically tell the whole world about what God has done 
opening their eyes and giving them new life, which I think is just beautiful. Um, basically, their gratitude is infectious and it spills out of them in an uncontrollable way. You know, they did not have to will themselves and pull up their bootstraps and write a gratitude journal to become thankful. God just, blah! They were just transformed. Yeah, you like that, did you? All right. Um, just transformed. Do you know what I mean? And, and something about encountering Jesus allowed gratitude to burst out of them from the inside out. And so I suppose my thought here is that thankfulness happens as we encounter the healing power of Jesus and it's a different mechanism to, to pulling it out of ourselves. See what I mean? It's like being blind and then suddenly seeing again. My second story is a woman at a well. I love this story and one day I would love to preach on it in detail, but I'm going to go through quickly here. Uh, the context is that Jesus approaches a well in the middle of the day and he meets a woman and has an engaged conversation with her. And it's the strangest story because uh, it's unusual to go to a well in the middle of the day. You know, I've been to the Middle East, it's hot, it's dusty, no one goes out in the middle of the day and does work like this, okay? So you go at the beginning of the day, you go at the end of the day, you don't go in the middle of the day. But Jesus is led by God to go to the well and he meets this woman. She's not a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were half-caste Jews. They were looked down on as second-class citizens because there's a whole history, basically, and I won't go into it, but basically they were enemies of the Jews and the Jews um, considered them enemies and, and, and half-caste. There was tension racially and culturally and spiritually. And, uh, but not only would this woman, a Samaritan, uh, and, you know, I suppose a second-class citizen to a Jew, she was a woman. And in the culture of the time, uh, being a woman was also about being second-class. It was a patriarchal society and women and children were treated badly. Uh, Jewish rabbis at the time would pray a prayer every day, thank you God that I was not born a Gentile, a slave or a woman. Now, you'd never get away with that type of thinking today and it's wrong, but... But that's the culture of the time. And so you have a Samaritan and you have a woman. And this is an outcast in that society. And then on top of that, you have the fact that the woman herself was an outcast from her own clan. Her own tribe, her own village had, had rejected her. Uh, she'd been divorced several times, had gone from husband to husband. And most commentators believe that the reason she was gathering water in the middle of the day was because she couldn't go with her village because she wasn't accepted by her own people. They'd rejected her. So she was a rejected person, an outcast of an outcast of an outcast, and she stumbles upon Jesus in the middle of the day. And so let's read what happens. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, just in case the readers didn't know that. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Basically, by Jesus asking her for a drink, he breaks all social customs and all cultural kind of norms. 
Uh, Jesus is the opposite of the woman. He's a Jew, not a Samaritan, and Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He is a man and not a woman, and men do not go up to single women in, in Middle Eastern culture and engage with them. Uh, highly unusual. And he was a rabbi, and rabbis did not associate with unclean people. It's a completely different social context. And yet Jesus does exactly that. He, he goes and he has a conversation with this wonderful woman uh, and he shows her a different way of seeing the world and he offers her living water. Rather than judging her, he sees her for who she is and he loves and accepts and blesses her. So the disciples are shocked uh, and the woman is shocked and yet there's a conversation that happens. Now, um, and he offers her living water. Now, uh, I won't go into the details of the conversation, but basically it becomes aware that Jesus knows her life. He knows that all that she has done, and yet he still offers her living water. He still basically blesses her and accepts her, embraces her and treats her with dignity and love and mercy and grace and friendship. And it does something to this woman's life. So she leaves. Uh, she leaves her water and she goes back to the town and says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way towards him. And the end of the story is beautiful. So she goes and she shares the message of Jesus with the people who have rejected her. And this is the final part. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days and because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this really is the saviour of the world. Now what I love about this passage and where it connects with the last passage is that there's a similarity between the two blind men who are healed and the woman who is transformed through her engagement and interaction with Jesus. He told me everything I ever did. The byline is, and he knew exactly what I'd done. <laughs> he knew how I lived, he knew what my life was like, and yet he loved and accepted and blessed me in spite of my brokenness. And, and then he offers living water, a, a transformed life outside of herself. So it's the same story. So basically, when we encounter Jesus, there's something that happens inside of us that can fill us up and transform us and flow out of us like living water. Not just an attitude of gratitude, but a transformed life that happens as we encounter Christ. Does that make sense? She just can't help but share her encounter with Jesus, with those who have rejected her, and it transforms the whole village. Last story, and it's a short one, and it's about Jesus on the cross. And it's at the end of his life. So he had done nothing wrong, but he was unjustly accused and then sentenced to death and put on a cross for crucifixion. And he'd been beaten He'd been shamed and a crown of thorns had been put on his head and he'd been nailed to a cross and he was struggling for breath and he was alongside two other criminals. And this is the context of this final story. So two other men 
both criminals were led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So you have two criminals, one on the left of Jesus, one on the right of Jesus, and both had lived violent lives. They were justly sentenced to death. We don't know why, but they were terrorists or brigands or violent men or bitter men, but they had lived lives that were criminal. It was like their lives were half empty. And yet, one criminal on the right, you know, let's say hypothetically on the right, we don't know, um, he sees something, he, he, he continues the way he began. You know, he, all he sees is bitterness and hatred and violence and he finishes the way he started. He can see nothing but, but death. Then you have the other criminal on the left. And, and this is what I find quite remarkable. He, he looks at Jesus and there's something about Jesus that is entirely different. Something shakes him even at this last moment of his life. And I, I wonder if it's the, the secret is in the passage before that Jesus is a human. He's, he's unjustly crucified and he is on a cross just like these other two men. And yet there is love and grace and forgiveness that is coming out of his mouth. He, he says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. I wonder if those words transform the man next to him. You know, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive the soldiers for hurting me. Forgive my friends for betraying me. Forgive the governor for accusing me and judging me. Forgive the crowds for deserting me. He, he speaks forgiveness in the most exceptional of circumstances. It's almost like he has a posture of love and grace and thankfulness in all circumstances. And it mimics Paul's words. Um, Rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And in that moment, somehow a door opens in the heart of the criminal next to Jesus. Something turns and he can see light and hope and joy when he only saw darkness before. And it's almost like uh, Jesus models hatred turning into life and death turning into wholeness. Uh, and a new way of looking at the world is open to the man on the cross. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which is, I think, a beautiful act of courage and faith, where this broken man actually turns his heart to the person next to him on a cross and actually says, I am I want you to transform my life. I still have hope. There is still... It's, I'm not just half empty. There is a half fullness, a thankfulness that comes 
out of me because of Jesus. And, and he answers, truly I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, look, and again, I, I ask the question, how can we be thankful if the world is falling apart? And how can we be thankful if our lives and our communities are broken and the world is burning? I look at these three stories where people encounter Jesus. Um, I ask the question, how can we rejoice always in all circumstances, even when we don't feel thankful? And, and I think the answer is that there, there's something about thankfulness that flows out of us as we encounter Christ that is different than, than the way in which we're called to be thankful as a people in this world. It's not about willpower, it's not about self-reliance, and it's not about forcing ourselves to be thankful in our own strength. Uh, it's about encountering a God who heals the blind, who welcomes the outcast, and who opens the door to new life and new ways of seeing the world when we're at the end of ourselves. And so as we open our hearts and lives to Jesus, I think thankfulness can flow out of us, and it, I suppose that's my experience as I went back to praying. Uh, as I prayed, I realized, wow, God is actually changing something inside of me in a different way than me changing myself. Do you know what I mean? And as we continue to put ourselves into that place where we can encounter Jesus and allow him to change us and transform us, his grace changes us and we become new. So look, just to conclude... Uh, thankfulness it's not about effort and willpower and practice god transforms us as we look up to him now there are things we can do to put ourselves into a place of thankfulness i still believe in prayer and gratitude journaling i believe in community and taking sabbath rest and in silence and solitude i believe in renewing the mind through scripture i believe in the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual practices they are formational and foundational as apprentices of jesus but as we do them it's not about willing ourselves to be new people it's about putting ourselves in a place of grace where god can encounter us and we encounter god and something is transformed through the spirit of god it's a different mechanism do you follow and really it's just a, it's about practice leading us to encounter and then encounter leading us to a new life